you do not have to be everything. In fact, all of the new startup culture is, what is your expertise? What are you amazing at? Then get very clear about what you're not good at and outsource all that. Hi, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods, a podcast devoted to fueling your difference. Here at Coffee Pods, we have a simple hypothesis that in the mere amount of time it takes to share a cup of coffee with someone, we can tap into a lifetime of experience. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at Coffee Pods, to give access to some incredible individuals who've marched to the beat of their own drum and who are willing to share their advice, their highs, their lows, their insights, in order to help give each and every one of us the toolkit and the inspiration to fuel the difference that we're trying to make in our own lives, communities and organisations. Coffee Potters, you're going to love this episode's guest. I'm talking about Vicky Saunders. She is a Canadian powerhouse. She's an entrepreneur. She's an award-winning mentor. She's an advisor to the next generation of changemakers and a leading advocate for entrepreneurship as a way of creating positive transformation in the world. As we'll touch on at length in the podcast, she's the founder of SheEO, a movement of radical generosity, this extraordinary global initiative that's aiming to radically transform how we support, finance, and celebrate female entrepreneurs. And we're going to delve into the extraordinary journey of how Vicky and her team arrived at this concept, how they've built momentum behind it, and the extraordinary impact they're achieving in the world at this moment. Vicky's been named one of 30 world-changing women in conscious business. She's been named by the World Economic Forum as a global leader of tomorrow. Um, and is continually called out for the extraordinary impact that she's having through business and empowering women worldwide. There are so many brilliant takeaways in this conversation, but it's also just such an inspiring concept and initiative. One of those people who saw the need and decided to continually and persistently chip away at it. Without further ado, here's Vicky. Vicky Saunders, I'm so thrilled to have you joining us on Coffee Pods. Thank you so much for making the time. That's my pleasure. I'm thrilled. Vicky, I found it really interesting preparing for this podcast because the business you're currently running and you are a serial entrepreneur and we're going to get to some of your former creations later, but CEO, you said in an interview that you tried not to start this company for decades. You really didn't want to do something gender specific, which I found quite interesting. So I'm wondering what led you to start CEO? There was actually a moment uh, like there often is. So I grew up in a family full of boys and was very, you know, immersed in the male world. And I noticed that every time I would bring up something about how women were treated differently, I would get sidebarred, you know, like pushed off to the side, doesn't matter. And so I learned at a pretty early age that if you separated something off for women, it wasn't really respected. And so, you know, I put my head down and did all my things. And I had a personal experience uh, when I was taking my company public that the people that we were merging with and who were taking us public were uncomfortable with my leadership style. And uh, they came to, you know, every time I brought up something in the negotiation to figure out what evaluation was going to be, they'd be like, that's intangible. It doesn't fit on the balance sheet. That's intangible too, you know? And I thought all this culture is the most important part of what we're doing. And it doesn't quote unquote fit on the balance sheet. And that was my first real experience with that, how we are just only looking at a certain set of variables that are not holistic and don't really tell the full picture. And so that was a deeply frustrating experience. And then uh, fast forward 20 years, I was mentoring this incredible young female entrepreneur whose business was just rocket shipping. And, uh, I started hearing people, all of her advisors say the same things to her. All these like little poke, poke, you know, in the next round, you'll probably not be the CEO. We'll bring in someone who quote unquote knows what they're doing. And uh, I went, oh my God, another generation. 
Uh, and I just, I just remember going home and talking to my husband. I'm like, not on my watch. I had to figure out how to solve this. We cannot have another generation go through the same stuff. It's ridiculous. And so it was that moment really watching the next generation about to go through the same sort of challenges that I faced, which were not fair. That was the moment I'm like, you know, and then the challenge was really everything I've done has been in sort of five-year chunks. I don't know about you with uh, all of your ventures that you've done, but I sort of look at something in a five-year period and I couldn't figure out a solution to how do you get money into the hands of female entrepreneurs because culture change, Mm. it can't happen in five years unless there's something we haven't discovered yet in the universe, which is hopefully true. Uh, It usually takes a generation. And so as soon as I started looking at a 20-year lens, all these other solutions and ideas of how to do this came through. If I wasn't in such a rush you know, a strategy kind of came through this idea for CEO, which is pretty cool. Often when we talk to entrepreneurs, though, they'll speak about this piece around defining the problem you're trying to solve. How did you narrow in on the model for CEO? Because as you said, it's a cultural piece. There are so many different ways you could look at the challenge around empowering women, empowering women in business, uh, access to finance for female entrepreneurs, all the different barriers. How did you narrow down on the concept? That's such a good question. I've never been asked that question before because it's, it's a deeply holistic uh, situation, right? So it was like, okay, you know, 4% of venture capital goes to female entrepreneurs, 0.2% if you're a woman of color. So there's, you know, a, how do you get money into the hands of female innovators problem or challenge? And then there's, well, actually, a lot of that happens because women aren't actually investing. Women aren't writing checks. So then it's like, oh, and it's a, how do you get women to activate their capital issue? And then there's, well, what kind of businesses are women really running? And they're mostly revenue generating, get to profitability quickly, highly capital efficient, not the venture capital types that everyone's focused on, like unicorns. That's Mm -hmm. not the vast majority of businesses women are creating. So there's a whole other, like, how do you shift the thinking around what it means to be successful? And so there's a mindset shift attached to it. And, uh, and then there's just this general, like women have been cultured in our society to be perfect and to not start until we have everything sorted. And that all, there's just a whole bunch of barriers around that. And, and then I think the biggest thing that I've sort of uncovered as we've gone through all of this is we're also cultured not to ask for help. Mm. And this is a really big challenge. So a lot of female entrepreneurs, I'll speak for myself, I just put my head down and cranked and I'd be like, oh, they're too busy or they've got so much going on or I should probably already know how to do this. Yeah, that's uh, a big And one. so you keep yourself smaller because you have all these things going on. So part of it was, how could you create a safe space for people to step into and ask for help? And that's where this whole concept of radical generosity came from, which is if you were surrounded by radically generous people, might you act differently? Would you be bolder? Would you step out of your comfort zone into this place because you knew that you would be lifted up by people as opposed to hammered every time you missed a milestone? So there's all those pieces were part of the design. I think it's amazing. And in context for our audience listening, one of the things that truly astounds me is the audacity of the goal. The idea of one billion in funding uh, provided by one million women as soon as humanly possible, which at the current growth rate, you're saying you hope to achieve by 2026, which is just extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully faster. You know, there's always surprises in the wings. (laughs) We're in a very different kind of environment these days in terms of how things are rolling out. You know, you used to think of things as being like very hierarchical, uh, one big giant entity and all these people to make it happen. Uh, And this is designed in this new power model, which is distributed networks. And so distributed networks can grow much quicker than sort of traditional hierarchies that are control-based, 
and top down. This is an idea that's kind of set free and, you know, minimum of 500 people in your community come together and contribute capital to fund local businesses. And then we connect these to export markets. Like that's designed in a way that, you know, five, you know 50 countries could do that at once if they wanted to. It's not something that we have to control because it's really just a, a technology in the background. So I think there's, there's a lot of new design elements coming in, in terms of how people are organizing that can allow for change to happen much quicker than it has in the past. That's so great. And I love the consciousness with which you thought through the challenge and designed this solution. As someone who's just joined up to be an activator in Australia, which we'll touch on in a minute, it's blown me away how well you've thought through the process and the people that you've brought on have obviously been able to, to knit that out brilliantly. As you said, moving from five-year to a 20-year to a vision, the scale of the challenge, what's been the most difficult part of the equation so far? And what, if anything, has surprised you? So many surprises. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's surprising to me that I was able to, I mean, this has been designed by hundreds of women. I did so much consultation. Uh, really, it took me 25 years to figure, like I've, every different piece of it has been iterated and practiced and, and uh, sort of experimented with. Um, but the biggest surprise is um, how hard it was to get the first 500 women in. That was really, really hard. And so I, I designed, or, so when we were going to market, we partnered with this bank in Canada and uh, the woman who was at this bank was just a total maverick. And she and I spent hours talking about what we were going to do with our waiting list. Oh my God, what are we going to do with all the women that are on the waiting list? Cause we we're only going to do a thousand women. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that did not happen. It was super, super tough. I did 75 events uh, in living rooms and corporate offices to get 500 women to sign up. Like it was tough. Um, and it's partly because there were so many new components to this that I tried to explain everything. And then if there was one thing that someone didn't like, they would say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, and so I've learned over time to not explain every element because literally like we have rethought how to do selection, how to do the application, how the money's divided, how the support happens, like everything is redesigned. And so if you're stuck in the way the world is around one of those elements, it kind of makes you crazy. You're like, what? How could that work? But now we're, you know, going into year four and so we have lots of examples of how it's working really well. So it's not as much, you know, I don't have to lead with, imagine if, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, now it's, you can see, you can see what's actually happening. One of the things I found so cool and interesting for that matter, because I feel so often we talk about women in finance and women in business and we see certain habits and traits of women in these areas as being in deficit like as though they're weakness areas. We're not strong enough. We don't have confidence around them. We're not as financially literate, whatever it may be. And what I love is that you've taken the way that we engage with these topics and you've actually looked at them as assets and then thought about how do you leverage their collective power? Was that a conscious choice? Very, yeah. I mean, the reason we do that is because every single system that we're in is designed by men, every single one of them, with that, with that lens. Right. And so there's so many things to, to reconsider and look at differently. And so like we have a model in our minds, all of us, women and men, of what a successful person in power looks like. And it doesn't look like us. Right. And just start there at the top. And then you go down. There's lots of other things too. Right. So this we have this incredible female entrepreneur in our network who invented this product, breathable food wrap. And uh, so, you know, all of our plastic wrap cuts off the air when you wrap food. And so it dies immediately. So an avocado turns brown when you wrap it with plastic wrap. Well, she invented this wrap that keeps the avocado green for four days. And it keeps, it's like putting the rind back on the fruit. So she took that around and uh, she's a nutritionist, not an MBA. And 
every time she would present this and she was kind of like, I have this really cool idea. And of course she didn't know how to take it to market. That's it's not her expertise. She invented the product. And so, you know, if it was like, I think if it was my brother walking into a room saying that they'd be like, Hey, that's really cool. That should be in market. And, and they'd figure, you know, you'd, they'd surround him with someone who could do operations. But with her, it was, mm, how do you know how to take this to market? You won't know how to do that. You don't have an MBA. And so by the time we saw her, she had been like sort of poked at so many times with all the things she wasn't, you know, this focusing on what isn't. Mm. Uh, and in our network, the, the 500 women who voted for her went, oh my God, this is so cool. How can we help you grow your business? You know, hiring an operations person is way easier than finding an inventor way easier. Yeah, no kidding. There's an assumption underneath everything that we do. And I think increasingly in the world, we're starting to get this, that you do not have to be everything. In fact, all of the new startup culture is what is your expertise? What are you amazing at? Then get very clear about what you're not good at and outsource all that quickly. Do not spend time working on things that you're not a master at. There's 7 billion experts out there working on something that they're good at. You can't compete. So, uh, you know, get very, very good at understanding your skill set and then fill your team up with everything you're not. Uh, and that's that's just the focus that we have at CEO. We don't try and have like the master of the universe running everything. I wanted to ask, you've obviously run a number of businesses yourself. You've also seen, I can't even imagine gazillions probably in the time you've been involved as an investor and, and now through CEO. What do you look for when it comes to a business that you want to back? Yeah, there's really only two things I care about. Uh, two questions. Why you and why now? That's it. Like I would only have two questions on the application form if I really, but I thought, <laughs> oh, people might be a bit freaked out about that. <laughs> so let's ask a few more. Uh, how do you make money, et cetera. But that if you have, you know, if you can capture people with your, why are you the person to solve this problem? You know, like a phenomenal founder story because it takes such persistence to stick with an idea as so many things come at you. And so if you're not deeply connected to this thing that you're solving, you know, like I don't understand these people that say entrepreneurship is about exploiting a market niche. I'm like, what? That makes no sense to me. You know, entrepreneurship is like making history and this is your thing to solve or, or your five things, whatever that is. So why you, and then why now? Because timing's everything. You know, this idea of CEO uh, in its very initial stages came to me in 1999. Um, and it was just not the right time. Uh, and, and just witnessing how we sort of stepped into an unbelievable moment in history with CEO, like this idea is perfect timing. And so that's, you can see the, the ease and the friction free sort of not total friction free, but it's, it's much, there's an ease and a grace, uh, with which it's rolling out globally, partly because of all these other conditions that happen to be just a perfect timing. Was there a particular cultural moment that made you go, okay, now, now we're ready. Now the world's starting to get it. Now's the time to push. No, not really. I mean, I, uh, it was just, it was this moment with this young woman and then I experimented a little bit to find this idea. And then, no, I mean, we, we found ourselves in the, in the middle of the swirl, right. In, in the sort of zeitgeist of this. And, uh, and now we're like sort of three years in when people know things like 4% of venture capital goes to women. Like nobody knew that three years ago, no one was talking about it. Uh, but the narrative has, has really sort of captured people's imagination. And with my, me too, uh, and all these other elements, there's, there's just a lot of, I think people are really realizing that living in a world that is not designed by both men and women, that's not inclusive that way, uh, just really limits our potential. And so uh, I feel like there's a lot more openness to, to looking at this. And I mean, gender feels like it's almost going to be going away. You know, like, I don't know, in 10 years from now, are we still going to be talking about he and she? And it, there's just so much change happening. So for me, this is, this is not even uh, like an 
issue around gender. It's much more around how do we shift our mindsets to get to a better world? And how do we fund different kinds of ideas and different perspectives that look at the world differently? Because we're living in this moment where five people have the same wealth as half the planet. Like this whole winner takes all mindset. Yeah. I mean, winner takes all has trashed the world from my perspective. This like one winner, one person, win the market, looking for like world domination, like that is not good for the world. And we're just holding on to all of this capital for what? I mean, why? Why do you need that? So for me, it's how do we look at how do we include people? How do we create a better societal environment? And anyway, I could go on. Radical generosity is such a great concept, isn't it? Or great counterpoint. When you think about everything you've just described, I love that phrase even more more, understanding that frame that you're coming from more broadly now too. Yeah, well, I, so it's interesting. I When I stepped back from, uh, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with my mother and her friends who are these wise, sage elders. Uh, and we don't have a good narrative in, in uh, Western culture around elders, really, uh, but they, they're just so wise. And one of the things I just noticed is they're just so generous with each other. And I started thinking about be, like the difference in my uh, performance when I'm surrounded by people that are nice versus people that are not. Like I just witnessed, you know, I'm just better when I'm around people that are lifting me up. And so then I thought, well, you know, this concept of generosity came very strongly through. But then, you know, the challenge with language is that, you know, imagine walking home and go, I was so generous today. Wow. <laughs> I was generous. You know, people would be like, what? Great for you, Vic. Well done. Uh, Versus like, I nailed it. I killed it. I was, Mm. you know, I crushed it. All of the language is just like that we respect is of like, you know, these sports and war metaphors. And so walking home and saying, I was generous. People like pat you on the head, you know, well, well done lady. Um, (laughs) So I thought like, how could you add something, a little bit of energy to it? So I'm like, I was radically generous. People are like, What's that? We don't know. I love that, that that was so sort of imagine. Margin. <laughs> you know, it really was. It was like, how do you add, because we don't have the language for strong niceness that people go, I, that they yearn for. None of it, you know? Uh, and so you had to make words up. And it's the same thing. We don't call you an investor. We call you an activator because no one knows what that means. And it's activating your network and your expertise and your buying power, all much more holistic. So every time that we're stuck with, you know, we need a new behavior, it's almost like you have to create a new word or a, mm. a new phrase that allows us to go into a different experience. You alluded that this concept came to you in 1999. And I found it really interesting on your website. You talk about these seven quests that you went on to arrive at the place where you asked the question that led to CEO, uh, kind of these evolving journeys. And, and they were all kind of lines of thinking and questioning. And one of the things I got interested in was that a lot of your early work was in building the capacity of young people when it came to entrepreneurship, getting them to believe in their ability to change the world and skilling them up with the capacity to do so. I was thinking of you today because I was talking to a room full of educators and parents about the world of work and how it's changing. And, you know, inevitably you arrive when you start touching on the concept of entrepreneurialism at that piece where someone says, oh, not everyone can be an entrepreneur. I'm interested to get your sense around entrepreneurialism as an idea and how we can foster that concept. Are they bored? Are they made? And what degree is this skill set critical with where the world's going? So the, the entrepreneurial mindset, I think, is something we can all cultivate. Uh, the individual that steps off a cliff with a crazy idea and no matter what, <laughs> will mortgage their house for the third time like I've done. That's a, that's a bit more of a rare kind of thing. Yeah, fickle. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and we don't want everyone doing that. It's like really not a great idea. Um, but this idea of, of really, I mean, we're entering a very different time. 
uh, I mean, I think probably every generation says that, so let's be dramatic about it. But uh, <laughs> this idea around how can we, you know, if we are going to have less jobs and this concept of like working nine to five in an entity, which I think is super crazy, uh, and or it's not even nine to five, it's like nine to nine and always on and Slack and everything else that you're using so that you're just never unplugged. If you, if you were actually, if you started with kids and said, okay, anything's possible. The number one thing we have to help you figure out is who are you? What motivates you? What excites you? What do you notice in the world? Uh, Because the things that you notice are yours. The things that you don't notice aren't. So what are the things that captivate you that you think about when you go to sleep, that you think about when you wake up in the morning? And that's really the only thing we don't teach at school. Who are you, right? We teach you everything else, all the outside voices of the jobs you should get and the places you should go. But like, what is it that turns your crank? Like, what gets you going? That's the stuff where I think we have a huge opportunity. Everybody has an answer for that. Mm. You know, at first they may not be thinking about it, but once you get surrounded by ideas that start to, you know, wake you up and inspire you. So we're just about to go into high schools in Ontario, uh, in Canada as a pilot. And we have a thousand girls in grades 10 to 12 Um, who are going to be coming to a big one-day event to kick it off where they'll hear five to seven-minute talks by women who are changing the world with their business. Every woman is doing something good, like solving a major problem. And to just sort of hear that one after the next as possibilities for things you might do is, is what we're trying to unlock that dreaming muscle and get you started as early as possible. Because it is a muscle. Uh, The first time you dream, you're kind of like, I wonder if I could, and it's tiny. And then as you sort of build on that, you get, I mean, I have a pretty big muscle for dreaming. I do it almost every day, Um, (laughs) but it's been cultivated over time. And so I really believe that um, we all have that, that nugget inside. I feel like we're all here to contribute something. And the challenge of humanity is to figure out what that is. And you have to find your own path. I love that phrase, unlocking the dream muscle. That's awesome. And this might segue into what I wanted to ask you next. But I know you've already touched on that you were a mentor, a very proud mentor of many people and many businesswomen. What for you makes a good mentor? How do you play a really value-adding role in the lives of people that you're mentoring? Yeah, so the first thing to do is put yourself aside. Whatever advice you're getting is really about the person giving the advice. It's not about you. (laughs) That's like the number one thing to pay attention to. Everything's projection. And so, you know, I had a a mentor, I had a coach for a long time who'd be like, you need more structure. And I'm thinking, do I really need more structure? Until I realized, oh, he he needs more structure, not me. I don't (laughs) need structure. I don't, I never needed structure. But he was deeply uncomfortable with my like chaotic approach to things. And so the thing that I look to is everyone needs to build that, again, a muscle of what, what, is, what works for you. What feels right to you? There is no right answer. The number one question I get asked is, am I doing it right? I'm like, what's right? Has anyone looked out the window? We've made a mess over here at this world. Don't follow us. Please do something different. Uh, and so what is it? What is it that works for you? You know, and that's, that's kind of the hard part too. It's a tough message, right? Which is you got to figure that out. Don't follow me. You know, well, Vicky told me to do this, you know, like that's not going to work. You literally have to find what feels right for you. I think there's just so many different paths. And so that's number one. I think, you know, the number two thing that I pay attention to a lot is when people light up versus not. So oftentimes someone's pitching me an idea and I'm thinking, they don't look that excited about this. You know, they don't seem that interested. So I'll say, do you really love this idea? And then there's like this spark that comes up and they're like, well, actually, no, there's this other idea I have. And I'm like, tell me about that. And they start talking about it. And they're like, but then my professor told me it wouldn't scale. 
I'm like, oh my God, what does your professor know? Nobody has a clue how things are going to scale. Uh, follow, follow your bliss, like follow that thing that feels amazing. Uh, and, but I just think that we're most of the time sort of taught about, you know, like I had these guys over at my house coming up with a new idea for their business. And one of them said, let's find something that's really hard to solve. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Why? And I said, why don't you find something that's really easy to solve? And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I think what we're supposed to do is find the path of least resistance. That's the message. And so what's the easiest thing for you three to solve? Not the hardest thing. Why would you pick the hardest thing for you to solve? And they just looked at me like I was crazy. But then, you know, afterwards we're like, oh, that's kind of like, that's kind of an interesting approach. Like, what is it that you can do effortlessly that is yours alone, that you are amazing at? That's the pursuit. Because uh, then life is really fun. But if you're doing something that's extremely hard for you every single day of your life, huh? I don't get that. So I'm looking for where people shine, where they're on fire with life, where they are constantly getting positive feedback. Those are places to put yourself um, so that you can be the greatest potential that you have. And when you're not doing that, it's pretty obvious. And mm. so from a mentorship perspective, it's, it's like, it's easy to see that in others. You can't see it in yourself. So I think this is the whole point of us being social animals is that we, we need each other to be our best selves. And uh, that's, that's the opportunity. So if you create an environment where we're all encouraging each other to be our best, it's just electric. It's so exciting. And it's, it creates a much, it's a much different experience of life than one where it's like, it's hard and you need to work harder and those things you're not good at. Why don't you spend some more time at them? I'm like, oh my God, please never touch the <laughs> stuff you're not good at. We got people that are good at that. So it's, it's just, a, it's a very different perspective. Yeah, because I want to touch on that. You strike me as someone who has enormous amounts of energy. It's infectious talking with you. And you also strike me as someone who's just creativity coming out of them. And I know that's a muscle that you've worked at building, but how have you managed your own energy over your entrepreneurial journey? Because obviously there's tough moments like mortgaging the house for the third time and all those things. It's not an easy process. How do you look after yourself and keep yourself in the creative state in order to be able to give the best to the people that you're working with and the things you're working on? Yeah, this is something I pay a ton of attention to. So um, in my family, a couple of people had chronic fatigue syndrome. I don't know if you have the same uh, phrase there. But, uh, and it's really like kind of running out of energy. And uh, when I was in my 20s, I saw that and I thought, oh my God, I, I need to be careful about energy. And I've read a lot of books around energy and I use that word a lot. One of my companies was called Kids Energy. And to me, it's this really paying attention to the energy you put into something versus the impact coming out the other side. So I, I use this equation and I drive my teams crazy with it all the time. How much energy are you putting in versus the impact you're having? And if it's too much energy for too little impact, shift your strategy, shift it around. And so I, and again, I said earlier a little bit about the path of least resistance. I'm constantly paying attention to how much work it is. If it, if it's, if it happens with ease, it's meant to happen. And if it's extremely hard, like pushing water uphill, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe I'm not the right person. And then there's, there's always, of course, persisting through things, but there is something I do really pay attention to around that. I meditate. I uh, take breaks when I need to. I really pay attention to whether or not I feel like doing something. And then I am constantly flipping my mind into, you know, I'm like, oh, I have to write this plan. I hate writing plans. Well, what if I didn't hate pl writing plans? What if I could make it fun? How could I make it fun? Actually, my friend's really good at plans. Maybe they do it for me. You know, like I, I'm constantly sort of like tweaking it around instead of trying to, you know, beat myself up and make myself do things I don't want to do. My energy is, is, is uh, like I spend a ton of time reflecting on what's working, what's not. 
and how would I tweak things? So I'm iterating pretty much every day on things that work and don't. And I notice when I don't get things done, uh, instead of stressing myself out and forcing myself to do it, I'm like, there must be a message in here. Oh yeah, I know three people who could do this faster and better than me. I'm going to go talk to them. So it's, uh, you know, I, I just don't own the fact that this is a one person show. I really believe that a village is what creates greatness and it's, you know, accessing and tapping into your network and engaging others really creates for a much richer experience. And so all of that, I know it's kind of a convoluted answer to the energy piece, but I really do pay attention to what feeds me and what doesn't. And I try to do as little of what doesn't as possible. And does the same go in those tough moments where you're finding yourself with your back against the wall with a challenging issue in terms of sourcing uh, from that network and getting advice and input. And I guess as well, that support structure around the way that you find a way through. Yeah. So if my friends were listening to this, they'd be like, you actually just should tell the truth here, which is your husband is the one who manages your energy. <laughs> yeah. So he's a healer. He's a sage. He's like, he's amazing. And so he's, you know, I'll walk home and he's like, how are you? And I'm like, great. And he goes, do you want to know how you really are? <laughs> You're exhausted. Sit down. Uh, so I, I have um, a very supportive partner who really does tune in on energy as well. And so he, he really does. When I'm not taking care of myself, sometimes he's like all over me on it, which is really great. We also do cool things at our company. Like we close the office for a month uh, at Christmas holidays. Cool. And we close for, and it's like shut down completely. Like there are no emails answered. We are off the entire office is closed. And then we have another couple of weeks during the year where we completely shut down the office for everyone to just go breathe. So that to me is extremely important. The way that we design companies and cultures and being on 24-7 is insane. And I'm like, okay, we created this. We're not doing crisis management. That's not what this is about. <laughs> so we don't need to stay open. Just tell everyone we're not going to be here. What are they going to say? And so I think this is a thing that oftentimes entrepreneurs forget, right? Like we hear this narrative of 24-7, you have to work 24-7 to be successful and you start to believe it. I'm like, who made that up? What if you could work two days a week? You know, like imagine that. What if it was two days a week? Who knows? So experiment with it. Try it. See what works. I was wondering if you were to take yourself back, given all the experience that you've uh, had in business now and talk to yourself on day one of business number one back in the 90s, what bit of advice would you like to give yourself back then that you know now? For sure, the number one thing would be to surround myself with people who lift me up, uh, who don't tell me I'm crazy, who aren't po pointing out all the things that are wrong with me. By the time I was in my mid-30s, I knew every single thing that was wrong with me. Thank you very much. Uh, everyone had told me, you get all this delicious unsolicited advice. Thank you. I like uh, that point, and, unsolicited. Uh, yeah, absolutely unsolicited advice. Thank you very much. Yeah, I get a lot of that. <laughs> uh, we all do. I, I think that would be one for sure, which, you know, that was the challenge. A couple of big challenges I've had in my life was I felt like I was sort of standing alone in the middle of the room with no one around me to, to, to help me. And that was my own thing. I just chose, I didn't realize the importance of having that really tight network around me. So that would be one. And then the other thing is, I mean... I was just in such a rush. I, I'm like, I'm going to solve this problem. Then I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to do this next one. Uh, and I, I didn't, you know, this concept, I, I wear a tattoo uh, all the time, these temporary tattoos from Tatley, which I love, uh, that are gold and they look like almost a bracelet. And it, this very like intricate lettering says breathe. And it's this, hmm. you know, delicious reminder to just breathe. If you breathe three deep 
breaths in a row, you can't be stressed. You disrupt your stress system. So that's something I learned and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And you know, so many people say just breathe and it sounds like want, want, breathe. Okay, great. Thanks for the advice, Vic. <laughs> uh, but really it's, it's crazy good advice. And again, I would also just like to acknowledge that I wouldn't have listened to anybody in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I had it all figured out and I'm on it and what does she know? So I, you know, I think again, you have to kind of find your own path. But yeah, number one, if there's nothing else you do, it's find a network of people and not just people that say, oh, that's great when it's not great. You know, people that tell you the truth and support you. I think that's really important. Was there a magical moment where the listening kicked in? Over time, I've done a ton of personal work. Uh, really uh, spent so much time knowing myself, knowing what I'm good at, knowing what works for me, forgiving myself when I'm not perfect, like all those things. And so I think, yeah, it wasn't really until I turned 50. And this is uh, where you stop caring what other one, everyone else thinks. <laughs> it took me a long time. I wish I'd learned how to do that uh, much younger, but I didn't. Uh, it took me really until I was almost 50. And I was like, oh my God, None of these people have any clue. Why have I been listening to them? Look at the world we've created. This is ridiculous. I'm going to just follow what makes sense to me. I love the indignation in your voice. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, it's something else. I'm now hanging out with tons of women in their 50s and it's like this, everyone's just like, I am free. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, but there's something about it. I would wish, I wish it happened much younger. So Vicky, we mentioned earlier that obviously SheEO has just started in Australia. We're talking brand spanking new. Tell us about how people who are listening can get involved and play a role. You can become an activator, which is a woman who contributes $1,100. And you go to our website and sign up. And, and that money is pooled together and loaned out to uh, female entrepreneurs who are revenue generating with a, an ability to answer how they're creating a better world that want to export. And so if you have at least $50,000 in revenue, you can apply as a venture on our website, sheeo.world, and you get a 0% interest loan and 500 women on your team to help you grow your business. It's kind of an amazing experience. And for the uh, women activators who join, this is your community. So we have an online space for people to find each other, to self-organize, to set up events, to become each other's customers and supporters. Uh, it's it's a quite a rich connection. And then you're connected to all the other activators in different parts of the world. So we're in four countries right now. We hope to launch five to 10 next year and just kind of growing rapidly. And this idea of having your network of radically generous women who say yes when you ask for help, they have something to give to you uh, and respond immediately. And then that connective tissue sort of around the world. So if if you're in business, it's a, a network to help you sort of grow. If you're a leader in other areas, it's fine. If you're a young person just getting started, we have activators who are age 14 to 93 at the moment. That's so fabulous. mothers, daughters, and grandmothers coming together. And my nieces go online and read through the applications when they're voting. And it, like, I, I remember at first, like I'm surrounded by super cool ideas all the time. I am very attuned to like the problems that are that we're facing and how people are solving them in super cool ways. So I'm very optimistic and positive about the future. And they were like, what? You can do business and make money at the same time? What? I didn't know that. You know, like, sorry, do good, do good and make money at the same time. Like that whole idea of changing the world and doing business together, which is such a delicious millennial concept. Thank God for the millennials. Um, <laughs> And, you know, because this is something I've wanted to do for, uh, you know, so long, people are like, no, you go make money and then you give it away, which never resonated with me. I wanted to do both at the same time. And so we're now in this wonderful time where we're looking for new business models to solve major challenges and that, that using your leadership 
to create positive change in the world is really the only option at this point. Like using your leadership to make money, why? What's like, what is the point? Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so I feel like we're all seeking this deeper meaning. Uh, it's not either or anymore. It's and. And so that opportunity is is really what uh, this network is about. It's like how can you have deep meaning and support and share your skill sets with people who have big ideas that want to change the world. So it's a it's a very rich environment. You can just go to our website, sheeo.world, sign up uh, and become part of this global network. Love it. And everyone should. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I've met amazing women already that I did not know through the CEO Activator community here in Australia, which has been really great. I wanted to touch on something because you were talking about flipping the business model. And one thing I did want to ask you was you kind of went against the grain in not setting up a business model based on investment where you took an equity stake or the loans had to be paid back at X percent like microfinance models. Why did you so intentionally choose this structure? A bunch of different reasons. One of the things is I, in order to create a giant parade of millions of women, which I believe we are starting, um, around the world who are activating their capital on behalf of companies to create a better world, to create stronger economies. Like that's the larger picture. In order to do that, you know, like I don't think I would have had millions of women shining up. Want to join an investment club? No, thanks. Thanks for asking though. <laughs> uh, but it's like, hey, do you want to be radically generous with this network of women? That sounds interesting. What's that? Uh, and so I, again, this is designed as an experience to, you're not getting your money back. So chill out. Like what's the worst that could happen, right? Uh, and so you walk in and you immediately start treating people differently because you're not worried about getting your money back. So the, the interaction is, is quite different. Uh, and in general, women are, are quite comfortable with philanthropy, I think, and, and that sort of approach. Which, But I, I just really wanted to redesign this entire experience because I believe there's a massive wealth creation opportunity that we are uncovering through this. The women who come into our network contribute the $1,100 uh, they don't get their money back. It's, you had to kind of get over that. If, you're, if you can't do that, then you just don't join us. But if you step into that, you start to see the richness that's there and how much you actually do get out of it in terms of the relationships. And then you're also, you've selected companies that start to grow that you feel like you're part of helping. And then they need more follow-on capital because they're growing really quickly. And activators are becoming investors in those companies. So we're starting to launch follow-on funds in different countries. And so those who are interested in becoming investors and getting a return with these amazing companies they've selected and helped to lift up can do so. Um, but I think if we had started by saying, we're going to create this opportunity for all of you to invest, I, I don't think it would have the same resonance. Uh, and a lot of people don't feel confident. And this is men and women too. I mean, you feel confident with our money and how we how we use it to invest. And it feels like a big black box, but really women make 80% of purchasing decisions. If we decide to pick companies that have meaning, that are creating a better world, and we put our money behind them as customers and we talk to our friends about them, they're going to thrive and we're going to change economies. You know, we know that we have this incredible buying power, but we've never really aligned it in any direction. So that's, that's the opportunity that we're playing with here. Now, Vicky, I'm so grateful for your time. We love as a final question to all of our guests to ask if you could leave our listeners with something as they take their earbuds out and they head off into their day or their night, whatever they're listening to this, other than going to CEO.world and signing up to be an activator and support in some way, shape or form, which I hope everyone listening will do. What is it that you'd like to encourage them to go and do? Yeah. So the number one thing I would encourage everyone to do is that next time that you want to quickly... Uh, respond or judge uh, someone who's been maybe not that nice to you, I would ask you to take a deep breath and uh, think about what is the radically generous response. So I think about this when I get grumpy emails 
uh, or when someone's not 100% nice to me, what's the radically generous response to that person? We have no idea what's going on in people's lives. Some people are having a tough day and it's just really easy to be grumpy back to somebody or, or not nice back to somebody. And uh, this, is a, this is something I work on every day. It's like, what's the radically generous response? How could I be radically generous? And it's not just to others, but it's to yourself. So if you're beating yourself up about something uh, that you didn't do perfectly, imagine being radically generous to yourself. If you forgave yourself for not being amazing or for not answering the question the way you wanted to when someone asked you or whatever your issue is, uh, if we just took a little bit of not a little bit, how about a little radical, <laughs> a radical amount of generosity towards each other, I think uh, would really go a long way. I love that. I want to get a temporary tattoo on my arm with that so I can read it all the time and remember it. I'll send you some, we've got them. Well, Vicky, congratulations on what you've built and our building for that matter. I'm thrilled to be involved. I'm excited to watch this gather more and more momentum and quite genuinely change the world. And I want to thank you on behalf of Women Everywhere for what you're doing and for the movement that you're creating. It, it is astounding and I am so grateful for your time today sharing your story. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for you. Well, I'll let you get on with no doubt a very busy day, but I hope we'll get okay. to actually see you in, in person in Australia soon. Yes, I will see you in April. Yeah. Brilliant. See okay. you then. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod, or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.